All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A podcast that knows that it's all right to have strange feelings about a green M&M, but we never, we never act upon them. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you perfect cross between a beloved mall Santa Claus and Tom Hardy's performance as Bane in Dark Knight Rises. How the hell are you, brother? The fire rises, brother. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> Doing well, man. Uh, Michigan News never sleeps. You and I text all the time, and it's just like we can't keep up with it. We're putting stuff in the dock to talk about this week, and it's like, oh, yeah, Matt Weiss happened last time we spoke. Blake Corum's car happened. And it's like, God, it's just, it never ends. It's kind of great. It is, yeah. It's been enjoyable, uh, not for Blake Corum and his missing car. I can't believe that hasn't been returned up to this point or hasn't been found. There's an obvious camouflage joke there that I'm just gritting my teeth, refusing <laughs> to make. But I, that car stands out. Has no one seen this thing driving around? I, I hope that this is resolved by the time this podcast comes out. You would think so. That is a... A, a pretty unique vehicle. Let's leave it at that. I feel like if you're going to like steal that, not to mean like speculate, they put thought into it, but it's like, you have to chop that thing immediately because if it sees the light of day, it's going to get reported. Like, I mean, it kind of stands out. I mean, despite being camouflaged, the thing stands out. Yeah. That's what I'm screaming <laughs> here. And I really doubt they knew it was Blake Corum's car. Cause the amount of media that's on this now, like you're definitely getting caught, bro. Like, I'm sorry. There's just not that many intelligent criminals out there, which is a shame. I, I love the reporting behind it. When uh, Chris Ballas is like uh, Blake Corum's NIL funded car. And he was like, nah, fam, parents bought me this for a gift since they worked their asses off. I'm proud of me for going to Michigan. And he just like left it up there. Just didn't take it down. <laughs> Just like, well, all right, I'm just going to be wrong publicly for everyone. Yeah. Also, take a stance and be like, yeah, this kid got his car stolen. Like, let's rub it in like that. He is getting paid to play football. Like, what, what are you taking the stance for? Who cares where he got the money from? And as it turns out, it's not from NIL. So you kind of look like a heel. <laughs> it makes. Yeah, it just makes note. You're trying to create an angle out of like a, a linear circle. It's like, no, it's you don't have to do this. Just please stop, Chris. But we digress. We digress. Uh, the Matt Weiss situation, let's touch on that. We still don't know exactly what he did. It sounds as though he maybe was logging into other people's email accounts from a Michigan computer in the wee hours of the night doing God knows what, like, I don't know, stealing Amazon coupons. I'm not going to speculate on what the hell he was doing. He's been let go from Michigan. We'll probably get some more details about what exactly occurred, but it was enough to get him let go. Let's talk about this from a football perspective as well as if you want, we can talk about the legal perspective. Uh, we are not lawyers, judges, or even well-versed in the topic, but you know, we can speculate with the best of them. <laughs> I think we'll stick to the field on this one. I don't want to have yeah. <laughs> do a deposition here in a few months, and it's like uh, Andrew Bailey, podcaster. So... Um, <laughs> I think the real story here of looking forward as it pertains to Michigan fans is what do they do with the offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach position? There's a lot of different things. People have been speculating. Um, does uh, Sharon Moore take over full OC responsibilities, give up the offensive line? Because traditionally you like to have those a little bit separate. I think that's why they had Weiss helping him out. So there's a lot of different angles to look at here and a lot of different names kind of surrounding the open position now. 
Yeah, most definitely. And I do think that's the way that they will go. And I think the way that they should go is promoting Sharon more to full-time offensive coordinator. But then the question is, do you bring in a quarterback coach slash passing game coordinator? You threw out the name David Shaw for that. I really like that. He's sitting there unemployed right now. Could use maybe, uh, you know, like kind of how Saban does at Alabama, where you come to Michigan and just improve some of the stigma surrounding your name. That would work. I like that. Greg Roman recently let go from Baltimore. That would be another name that's not quite as exciting as David Shaw to me. Heard Brian Greasy, current 49ers quarterbacks coach thrown out there, and potentially they've actually spoken about this job. So uh, could be something there. But yeah, a lot of names that could come in and help. So which way are you leaning? Are you leaning towards promoting Sharon Moore? Should we split up Sharon Moore's duties, bring in someone else? What do you think is the best option and what do you think Michigan will do? I think the whatever they decide to do with Sharon will dictate their move with what coach they hire because I don't think you hire Greg Roman unless you're going to give him more responsibility. But I think they could hire Brian Greasy and bring him in just as that passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. So it's really interesting. Uh, Dan Mullen, another name that's unemployed. And right now for Michigan to be in the offensive coach market, I mean, it is plentiful. A lot of names to choose from here, so you're not nearly scratching the bottom of the barrel like it seems at times for assistant coaches. Um, But my preference would be uh, probably the one you and I talked about ad nauseum a few weeks ago with bring David Shaw in, has the passing game coordinator, has a quarterback coach background. You give Sharon full OC. And then the question is, do you keep him on offensive line? Because a lot of coaches like to separate that because co- uh, full OC has a lot more responsibility. So do you give the offensive line to Grant Newsom and then Sharon can kind of drift back a little bit? It's going to be fascinating how the hierarchy works on the offensive coaching staff next year. Yeah, there's definitely some options there. And taking Sharon more away from the offensive line doesn't immediately ring a lot of like celebration bells because of what he's been able to do. Exactly. Obviously, two-time Joe Moore winner. You don't really want to take him away from that position. But it's kind of similar to like what I was saying with the Mikey Sainer still thing. If you have somebody in-house that can perform that role and you don't know if you have somebody else that can, maybe you do make that move. Kirk Franklin could be promoted from within. Offensive analyst, that could be something that you do just to kind of split up those duties as well so it'll be interesting I'm with you I'm more in the camp of bringing in a name just having somebody that could also serve as a really good recruiter I don't know if David Shaw is that but he's a big name and like somebody that these kids are going to at least recognize so I don't hate that idea as well so whatever way they go with it I think there's an opportunity to upgrade here do you agree Absolutely. There's an opportunity to upgrade. And there's a fun argument to make that David Shaw was really the quarterback whisper under Jim Harbaugh all those years, because look at the quarterback Shaw's put in the NFL post Harbaugh and look at Harbaugh, what he's done in Michigan. That's completely fair. And like even some of the uh, who's the long neck quarterback, Davis uh, Mills, David Davis Mills. Yeah, that guy's got the neck of an antelope and uh, twice as thick, but that creeps not bad. And I mean, I think Tanner McKee from Stanford this year is expected to be drafted in like the fourth or fifth round. So doing better work than Harbaugh has done, arguably with quarterbacks. So that's a very good point. And I like David Shaw. I think that was a great point by you and digging, uh, you know, through some of the names and finding someone that maybe a lot of people aren't thinking of, but the the breadcrumbs are certainly there. And that would make a lot of sense for them. Uh, Any other thoughts on that? No, man, I think we got it covered. We'll stay away from the legal side. (laughs) 100% man. Um, All right. So Deion Sanders currently at my alma mater, CU, the team that I root for, if it's not Michigan, 
but he's starting to bleed into my world a little bit here. I'm going to need Coach Prime to back it up. He is heavy in on Nichols Harbor, who is the five-star that Michigan has been leading with for a lot of this recruitment cycle. But now Dion is in there, and uh, the University of Colorado starting to dip into Michigan territory. But this is the final push for him. If we're going to get a five-star, this is our best bet. Yeah, he's making his decision, I believe, next Thursday, February 2nd. So coming up quickly on that, Harbaugh is flying down personally next Monday for the last big push. Like, we're bringing the big guns in for this because we're almost at the finish line with them. Just got to get across. And, I mean, there's already rumors, too, of, like, the defensive end from uh, the Stanford commit switching to Michigan, another name from Ohio for the 2024 class after the successful recruiting weekend. And if they can bring in Harbor. With the Stanford flip, if he flips, this class is going to be awesome. This five-star immediately just raises the ceiling. Yeah, you don't need a lot of them to kind of really, really impact your recruiting rankings. And recruiting rankings are just, they're not as important as they might seem, but there is some value to having those higher rated. If you look at, especially on defense, the number of five stars currently playing in the NFL playoffs. Like on defense, we are a lot better at hitting on these players. There's a lot better chance now we can go into why that is, why we're not hitting on the five stars on offense as much, and not just Michigan, people in general. But getting a guy like this means a very high percentage chance of a good return on the field. So this would be a great, great recruiting win, not only for what it's going to do to our recruiting rankings, but for what you can expect on the field with somebody that athletic, that big, that physical, like he's a beast. Yeah. Uh, Roman Wilson ran a 10, 600 in high school, which is really fast. Very, very fast. Harbor last year ran 10, three. That's like, I mean, Good God. <laughs> he is he is elite level fast, and he's doing that at his size. I mean, the kid is massive. He is ready to play day one. So if Michigan can bring him in here, it's going to add just a completely different dynamic. You have your kick returner one next year automatically just linked in, and I think he could shoot up to be wide receiver, like in the top three wide receivers for like 11 personnel situations as soon as next year. That's where they're trying to move him to is – Wide receiver, like I could see tight end, but wide receiver, that is, there's never been a body like that that's played wide receiver ever. How tall is he? I think he's 6'5. Yeah, he's 6'5. Yeah, he wants to play receiver. So it's going to be like Calvin Johnson. <laughs> Good God. That would be the weird body all star of all time. Like y'all are laughing at me for wanting Keon Sab to play defensive back, and you're going to move this monster to wide receiver, not tight end. Wide receiver, well, good. I don't, I don't think he can block at tight end. I think that would be the issue. Like he's never blocked before in his life. And if you're going to play tight end at Michigan, boy, you got to learn quick. That's very interesting. Like if they see him as wide receiver and they don't think he can block as a tight end, that means he's probably not physical enough to play defensive end, which is where I look at a body like that and I think defensive end or tight end. But I do not think wide receiver. Yeah, he wants to play offense. I know that he wants to play offense, and it's like if you can't block, you got to play receiver, and he's got those playmaking abilities to do so. So I think that's where you'd see the high upside. Um, yeah, there was a, a fascinating thing I heard this past week. I didn't. I mean, kind of going on a tangent here about Luke Schoonmaker and Eric All, I had no idea coming into this past season, you know, Schooney was higher on draft boards than Eric All because they said he was that much better of a blocker. 
I thought Eric All was a pretty good blocker. Like, that was my impressions coming in. That's very surprising. Yeah, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about it. Sam Webb was, and he was speaking to an NFL agent. They say Luke Schoonmaker is really high on draft boards, and they say it's because of his blocking. They said even privately, like, Eric All admits he is behind Schoonie as a blocker. I was like, that is fascinating. So, again, the blocking at Michigan leads me to the point here. It's very difficult to pick up. Even for somebody as physical as Eric All, like you can still have misses here. So I think you, no matter what you do with Harbor, if he gets to Michigan, you get him on the field as quick as possible. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You find a way to get this guy. And even if he's saying he wants to be a wide receiver and you're like, really, bro? I don't necessarily see that. You still get this guy. And you try him out at wide receiver. And if that's not sticking, I would be like, hey, I know where you would probably really uh, really fit, at least from a body type. And that's at defensive end or somewhere on the defensive line. But a fascinating prospect, one that we're going to be keeping an eye on and one that could just jump us into the stratosphere as far as recruiting. Uh, sir, we're in the off season and I love off season stuff, but, uh, before we get into our off season content, you got a little hockey update for us. Oh man. Uh, last weekend was a roller coaster for your boy. So, uh, Michigan was playing Minnesota in Minneapolis. Uh, the second rate Gophers are the only team to sweep Michigan this season. Did it back in November when Michigan, as you remember, were down six players due to sickness and illness that had spread throughout the team, hospitalized Holtzie. So it was a very devastating shorthanded Michigan team that was swept by them. So revenge was on their minds. So in game one, Michigan's cooking, playing very well. They're winning. And then with under five minutes to go, Minnesota ties it up, forces overtime, wins in overtime. Some questionable officiating. Michigan is the most penalized team in the Big Ten, don't get me wrong. But there were some calls, some moments there that, you know, irritated your boy but then in game two the same thing happened under five minutes to go in the third period minnesota ties it again forces overtime but this time the good guys prevailed not swept in the second one jacob truscott found the home off luke hughes that defensive line dude had been split up actually and lines had been changed this week and it was good to see them connect in three on three overtime get much needed three points have penn state coming up this week uh, michigan still Firmly in NCAA tournament range, sitting nationally number seven. Uh, Big Ten's a bloodbath. Uh, just to put it in perspective for you, Jared, um, Notre Dame is ranked in the top 16, and they have a losing record. Good <laughs> like, God. The Big Ten has like five, five of the six toughest schedules. Like Michigan State's good because Dylan St. Cyr, their goalie's a madman. Ohio State's one of the deepest teams in the country. Notre Dame is always going to be defensively just a problem for people. Michigan's very good. Minnesota's very good. Just like week in and week out, you have these tough games. And uh, you said Penn State's coming to town we this weekend, man. So six more points up for grabs for Michigan trying to make its way to the NCAA tournament again. This is going to be fascinating with not only this many legitimate teams that could win a national title, but this many Big Ten teams that are in contention. Like every game from here on out is going to matter. So uh, pleased to have you with me here to help me cover this and help me uh, continue to learn this college collegiate hockey landscape. Hockey is is just chaos at times. Quinnipiac only had one loss, regulation loss, coming into this past weekend. One all season. It was nuts. Like they were just crushing teams. Goaltender is outstanding. And then they get swept this past weekend by Colgate. And I think it was Cornell. They had a back to back. It was 
unbelievable. So hockey is like is it enthralling and frustrating at the same time because single elimination hockey might kill me one day, actually. But um, this is a great time to tune in, man. You got the outdoor game with Ohio State in Cleveland coming up in February, Big Ten tournament after that, and then just the chaos of the NCAA tournament looming. Yeah, some parallels there between the basketball season as well, where you look around the Big Ten, you're like, is the Big Ten really good or really mid? Like a lot of teams kind of sticking around. Hockey's there, good. Right? Like, Hockey's good. Yeah. <laughs> Hockey's good. We are not the mid ten like we are in basketball. Hockey is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> little bit more evidence that we're the mid-10 currently than in uh, hockey. I'll agree with you there, sir. Uh, you ready to go rapid fire? It's been a minute since we did some rapid fire. Got to get loose. Oh, oh, get these arms stretched yep. out a little bit. All right. There you go. Yep, yep. Get the tendons loose. Get that blood pumping. All right, sir. Who leads the Michigan Wolverines in receptions next year? Uh, receptions or like receiving touchdowns or yards? Receptions. Oh, this is a fascinating one. Um... Rapid fire. Colson Loveland. Okay. I got CJ. Who should be the next James Bond? Uh, man, it was my boy Idris for so long, but he's just too old now. I think they want to yeah. come younger and they want to move out of that. So I big thing with my Bond, he needs to have charisma. And I don't think you can fake that. It has to be authentic charisma. So I always lean towards your boy, Tom Hardy. He's always one of my favorite options. Uh, Killian Murphy, Daniel Kaluuya. Or uh, Nicholas Holt is one of my dark horses in that run. I like Nicholas Holt. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, I like. I'm a pretty pro Aaron Taylor Johnson. I know I got to get you there on that one, but he's got charisma. Uh, the later half of his career has been pretty impressive. Hardy just a little bit too famous now. Maybe maybe brings a little too much baggage to that role, but I like a lot of those other ones. That I want Aaron Taylor Johnson to-, to do it only if he speaks in his Russian accent from Age of Ultron. <laughs> all right you you've got a deal sir uh how about our boy uh how about our boy rob stark from game of thrones oh that's a good one that's fun because like it was funny you went to that realm because like i wanted to go matt smith but matt smith is already doctor mm. who and now he's already blown up on house of the dragon so it might be just like if he does that he might as well be the next king of england that's what i'm screaming <laughs> at that point all right next question does someone surpass mike morris's sack total from two, 2022 which is seven and a half sacks and who is it uh yes josiah stewart the coastal carolina transfer is my first choice I think he gets around nine um but another name i could see push him would be Derek moore i think he's really going to take a big leap as a sophomore i'll go jalen harrell gets to eight i think i'll just yes. go right over yes. it i think i think harrell can do it stewart's another great name as well uh, what week does Blake Corum pass Mike Hart for career touchdowns? He needs eight. What man? That's so tough because UConn last year he had five in week three. Um, right. I'm gonna say he wraps it up in the non-conference schedule. But I have another question to throw to you. All right, always. All right, now does Blake Corum move into top three all time next year in Michigan scoring? He needs 16 touchdowns to do so. 16 total touchdowns from scrimmage. Ooh, I will say just under because of the presence of Donovan Edwards. I'll say just under. There's a lot of t- a lot of scoring to go around next year. A lot of guys that want to get touches. Edwards isn't going to just sit back there and accumulate zero touchdowns. I'll say just under. What are you thinking? I think I'm. it's going to be right around there. That's a fun betting over under number, I think, because it's just like 
excuse me, he had 19 last year total, and it's like 16. It's like that is a lot, that's especially a lot. with more of the workload coming. I think the passing game is going to expand as well, so that's going to be tough. But if he could get there, he would only trail Garrett Rivas and, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jake Moody. Pretty impressive. The other two guys getting it done with their with the one foot and him doing it on two legs over his Michigan career. Like no matter what, he's going to like enter Mount Rushmore territory like he'll at least be in the discussion. I don't know if he'll get there, but he's in the discussion after this season with a healthy, productive season. Uh, Next question. You get your dream movie project to be made. Who is your director? Who is your lead? What is the film? Do they have to be alive? For this exercise? Yes. Okay, well, I'll give you I'll give you both answers. If I had just any pick around, I would go um, same story. I want a Teddy Roosevelt story, and I want it done right. So I'd want Robert Altman to direct it, and I want Philip Seymour Hoffman to play the lead. But since can't have that, I'll give you Steven Spielberg do, directing Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, already did Lincoln. Why not just go for another presidential biopic and give me Ian McShane in the lead? Ooh, Ian McShane. I knew I'd get a good answer from you. I knew it wouldn't just be like, give me Tom Hardy in a Star Wars movie. Like, I put way too much thought into this dude. Like, I texted you over the weekend. I'm like, why am I sweating right now weighing my Robert Altman <laughs> takes? I'm like, oh, God, but he did Nashville. Like, <laughs> uh, I knew it, man. I knew it. Great answer. I absolutely love it. Uh, all right. Who leads the Wolverines in touchdown receptions next year? A little bit different. Uh, is this one leveling though? This one might be easy I, for you. I, actually, I'm not. I'm going. I'm going your route. I'm going the same guy that led the team this year. I'm going with CJ. He had six this year, led the team, and I think he leads him again next year. I've got Loveland for this one, but a uh, little dark horse. How about AJ Barner? Ooh, that's fun. I love that man because you and I like. I sent you his tape when he committed, and you're like, "What the hell? This guy plays for us now." <laughs> guy's good like we're just getting that guy to add to the room like all right sweet we'll take him yeah so aj barner's gonna have some touchdown catches now it's gonna be interesting to see who gets the most it's kind of just pulling a name out of a hat but i like the cj answer there too uh what should the minutes distribution be for will shedder and terrence williams you can give me a percentage a minute breakdown however you want it there's 40 minutes in a game right correct yeah. Yep. Thirty-eight to two. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, <laughs> I think it should be. I mean, there should be a balance there. Just assume like there's forty minutes on the table. Uh, I definitely think Cheddar should be playing two thirds of the game, and you can give Terrence Williams the other third. But uh, I am very pro Cheddar just because he tries. He is very like vocal defensively, brings a lot of intensity. Um, maybe not as skilled offensively, but just brings more in terms of being a glue guy. And I think he helps elevate other people on the court while I'm not sure T-Will makes anybody better. Yeah, this is coming off of Terrence Williams' like better game that he had uh, against Maryland, but I'm still with you that Cheddar needs to be getting the bulk of those minutes. I mean, he's just a connector out there. Cheddar cheese, baby, connecting you like cheddar cheese connects two pieces of bread on a well-made grilled cheese, and uh, I'm there for it. I think you're right, man. I, I like two-thirds, something like that. All right, who leads the Big Ten in passing yards next year? Tug of Iloa, the Ohio State quarterback, or the field. Don't you dare throw out Turtle to me. The guy that regressed by over 800 <laughs> yards in his junior year is going to lead with a worse offensive line and no Rockham Jarrett. Get him out of here. Don't even consider him. Um, I think the safe bet is the Ohio State quarterback just because of the system and because of the weapons. Like, if it were just the weapons, I would have concerns because the offensive line is going to be a little bit patchworky. But uh, with Ryan Day and with Brian Hartline, like calling plays now or 
supposedly calling plays, um, I think they're still going to lead the Big Ten because uh, Penn State's a question mark, Purdue's a question mark. Um, maybe the field could be J.J. McCarthy. We'll find out. Yeah, I'll take the field just because of how many names I get, but you're probably right that the OSU quarterback, whoever that might be, should be the leader in the clubhouse going into the season, but give me the field there. All right, uh, next one, not necessarily a rapid fire. We can we can discuss this a little bit. Skills we missed. So what is a skill that you and I looked at a player and just completely whiffed on? The example that I wanted to use was uh, Aiden Hutchinson interceptions. We had no idea he had hands like that. That's not on us. He just didn't get his hands on any balls at Michigan. Like I don't think he was dropping back as much as he did for the Detroit Lions. But let's workshop this. What's a skill for a player? Could be Michigan basketball, Michigan football, that you need to be on the lookout for next year. Could be somebody going pro or just somebody returning to the Wolverines that we may have missed. Oh, this is good. Um, I, I I don't want to get too nerdy and talk about like hand placement with offensive linemen or anything like that. <laughs> um, but I always like, I, I think one of the biggest traits, especially in all sports, but in football too, is uh, just the mental aspect of it. So I think one thing I really want to watch for is pre-snap reads uh, across the offensive line and across the quarterback. I think that ties into processing, which mm -hmm. I think ties into anticipation. I know McCarthy has the talent and he can do that. So I can say that for a really nerdy answer. But also my biggest thing might be footwork because JJ, the reason he messed up his shoulder last spring was because his footwork and his mechanics can go up and down at times. One of his best throws this season in the Big Ten Championship to Ronnie Bell was horribly horrible in mechanics because his foot was facing the wrong direction. He put so much stress on his shoulder. I want to watch JJ McCarthy's footwork next year. So that's going to be one skill I watch. And I think if he can tie that in, I think you're going to see the accuracy tick up timing tick up and just everything work a lot easier for him. I love that answer. That's a really good one and a pretty good analysis as well. I'll go with AJ Henning yak yards after catch only nine receptions last year came in woefully under what I thought he was going to be as far as usage. I think he'll get more usage next year and we've seen it with some of his kick returns and punt returns where he does not go down easily with that first bit of contact. So if you can find the way to get him the ball, whether that's behind the line of scrimmage creatively or just with short receptions, because I worry about you know, the, the actual hands, like the reception ability of AJ Henning. But once he gets the ball in his hands, I think there's a yak component that we haven't seen. So I would really, really like to see him or whoever is calling the offensive plays next year, find ways to get him the ball creatively. Cause I think there's a skill there that's being underutilized. That's a great one because we had such high expectations for him when we heard he was going to be used in kind of that Debo Samuel like mold where he's going to be the hybrid running back. And we saw it a little bit early on in the non-conference schedule, but he kept missing holes like the vision wasn't there. So I think there's got to be a way to mix him in a little bit more because you even saw like other players start getting the reverse as you saw Ronnie Bell. You saw Roman Wilson against TCU being factored in the reverse misdirection game. So he was kind of phased out there as well. Granted, you know, battling an injury. But so that's a fascinating player to watch in terms of yards after catch next year. Um, another one for me, I think it's going to be at the linebacker position. And I think it's going to be, I don't know how to quite quantify it, but TCU last year, like their system was to spill everything outside and bring their safety downhill to close it off. Like that was it. 
I think last year I saw a lot of inconsistent linebacker reads and at times would cost Michigan in holes or gap discipline. Like, didn't really understand their identity there. So I think one thing I'm going to be watching for our linebackers next year is not just coming downhill, but when they come downhill. What they're doing and pushing it forward, pushing it to the side. Because we got we got torn up a lot of times in zone blocking schemes. You saw it against Maryland. You saw it against Iowa, Illinois. Chase Brown killed us on some of those plays. So that's what I want to see. I want to see the linebackers be able to diagnose zone blocking schemes a lot better in 2023. That's a really, really, really good one. I love that you came like prepped for this. Like you're like, actually, I've got some analysis that's based on statistics that I, uh, <laughs> that I, I scrounged from an ESPN article in 1999. <laughs> no, that that's really good stuff, man. Um, the last one that I was going to touch on was uh, Terrace Reed's ability to switch. Terrace Reed is starting uh, to play some four or some five next to Hunter Dickinson. It's kind of positionless when you put both of those guys out there. But his ability to switch for such a lumbering big guy onto quicker guys out there is really encouraging. So I'm wondering if he maybe trims down a little bit for next season because he's carrying a lot of weight on that frame. And he uses it well. He yeah. can use his strength well. But if we're not better suited with him trimming down a little bit, and that's what he's really good at is switching on to more athletic guys to provide a rim protection and then be some protection against the cup from wings. So I think there's something there. We just need to see a little bit more of it. It might be a skill that's being underutilized right now. That's a really good one because it's weird with Terrace, man. It's like he has the athleticism, but maybe he lacks the coordination. Like, I don't know exactly how to pinpoint it, but it just kind of seems like he's like a lumbering, goofy guy out there at times. But then you see him like switch onto a really hyper quick 6'2 guard and no problem staying in front of him. So I think slimming down will really help him kind of change the center of gravity a little bit for him, bring it all more uh, just down to a base level. So I think that that's a great one basketball wise. Yeah, yeah, and there's a, there's a lot more of these. So this might be something that we keep an eye on as we're starting to break down, especially the football team a little more. Like, what are some skills that are maybe not talked about as much that we're seeing like, hey, uh, so-and-so can do a little bit of this now. Like, A.J. Barner's, like, really good at pulling on a, you know, serving as a fullback and kind of pulling out of the backfield or something. Like, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it because I, I like this conversation. Yeah, that's a fun one because, like, Jimmy Rolder had, like, flashes at being good at run stopping but struggled in coverage. Like, uh, Colson Loveland got on the field because he picked up the blocking so fast. And it's also like, but wait, there's more. He's also a super right. dynamic receiving threat. So, yeah, it's it's cool to find that. And maybe it's uh, an exercise to find skills that translate to get these underdeveloped guys on the field. Hey, he's really good at this. That's going to let you play immediately in college. Yeah, I'm with you, man. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some football offseason stuff. Going to talk about some of the unsung heroes of 2022, give them a little airtime, uh, talk a little Michigan basketball, and then we've got a, a fun segment to end with about the evolution of some of these players. Got that and more right after this. All right, coming back on Out of the Blue, we here are historians of Michigan Wolverine football. And while this is not ancient history, it's recent history. And we want to make sure that the proper people are being given their podium in history. So we're going to do some unsung heroes from the 2022 season. A couple people we really enjoyed watching that maybe we didn't give the airtime to during the season. So I'm going to start this off with the man that Harbaugh said. It's tougher than a $2 stake out of Paw Paw, Michigan, baby. Carson Barnhart, named most improved player on offense in 2022. 
appeared in 28 career games, 16 starts, six at left tackle, two at left guard, and eight at right tackle. That is positional versatility, folks. So what do you remember about Carson Barnhart from 2022? <clears throat> You summed it up, man. It's You said positional versatility, which you know that I love. And the way he could just seamlessly plug and play at times all across the offensive line. Remember, at the beginning of this season, we had the argument, or just really argue, the discussion about you start Trent A. Jones because if an injury happens to a guard or anywhere on the offensive line, you can put Carson Barnhart in there to solve your problems. Trent A. just didn't have that versatility, but he was a very good tackle. But Barnhart, man, just can just always come – when you need him, he's there. He can play anywhere up and down the line. Surprised we didn't see him at center. He was awesome this season. So if the following three players announce they're thinking about transferring, what is the one that you absolutely think you need to keep? Carson Barnhart, Trente Jones, Miles Hinton. It's, it's Carson Barnhart, just because of the injury replacement, what he can bring as a starter, how much better he got once he took over for Trent and went out the high ankle sprain. Like, that's the one you do not want to lose, specifically because of the depth he brings. And um, that's going to bring me to my guy I want to talk about a little bit. Ryan Hayes at left tackle, kind of went under the radar, not going to catch the headlines, only a two-time all-conference player, second-team all-conference player. But he leaves Michigan appearing in 40 games, 29 starts at the hardest position on the offensive line, Let, cornered a corner pillar of the winning his two-year stretch and, of, and the best offensive line in the country for two straight years. Like Ryan Hayes does not get talked about enough for what he brings. He was just awesome and just such an omnipresent, steadying force on the offensive line. You always knew Ryan Hayes was going to be there. 100%. And yeah, it goes hand in hand with Barnhart, who I do want to mention because I want to do this for every guy. The best game or moment for Barnhart has to be 85 snaps against Penn State lined up on the right between tackle and guard throughout the game in a game where Michigan ran for 418 yards. But now moving on to Ryan Hayes, you touched on the key components there. Part of two Joe Moore, Moore award-winning offensive lines, the winningest stretch in recent history in Michigan winning a stretch ever for two years in Michigan history. This is a guy that we thought maybe would be a little bit more of a pro prospect after this season that didn't quite materialize, but still will play at the next level. And this works out better for us. I mean, being able to keep him around for as long as we did, he was a stalwart and a name that you're probably right. Won't get talked about too much. Kind of like Bastardus, kind of like Barnhart. So I'm glad we gave him his flowers here. Uh, best moment or game for Hayes last year. I think the uh, the game I really liked the most with Hayes on rewatch, it may not have been his best, but it was just such communication between he and the quarterback. Uh, it was Ohio State. He did such a good job against all those edge threats and pushing them out and creating the pocket for J.J. McCarthy. I think it'll go very under the radar, but his pass pro on that side and opening up those passing lanes where he hit C.J. for the first touchdown, I don't think can be stated. Enough. That's a really good choice there. Uh, all right, let's go on to my next one. Got to touch on Mike Barrett. Friend of the podcast in the sense that he once liked something that we retweeted about the podcast, but uh, a guy that we like on this podcast because of what he's able to bring in kind of a backup role. He wasn't expected to be a starter for us this year, appeared in all 14 games at linebacker, 13 starts was also playing on special teams. So he was just there. Availability was one of his best abilities finished second on the team, 72 tackles, five for loss, three and a half sacks, three pass breakups, two interceptions, two quarterback carries quarterback hurries gets his fifth varsity letter from Michigan. He's an all big 10 team selection for third team uh, honorable mention by the media. 
media and named the team's most improved player on defense. Mike Barrett was just somebody that we could rely on, got better every single year, coming back for a sixth season. Can't can't speak enough about what he brings to the team, and he's pretty solid in coverage. He's good against the run. He's just well-rounded, and it's good to have him back there. That's great depth, and, I mean, second-leading tackler coming back. Dude, I think you're going to need a break after reading all those accolades and awards and numbers Mike Barrett put up this year. And I, I can't think of a better, like, just moment when I realized that Michael Barrett was such a reliable force. It was against TCU when Michigan needed to get the ball back. And who made the tackle? Michael Barrett and it was like I saw it one-on-one and I'm like I have confidence he's going to make this play and it's like that is so crazy to think about for a guy that wasn't supposed to start had stuck it out at Michigan for five years earning his keep like the highs in 2020 and the lows of 2020 what he's become and how pivotal he is because he's so versatile going like in coverage and it's stopping the run he's getting better continues to improve and I don't think there can be a better moment for him this season than the back-to-back yeah. picks against Rutgers this year, including the picks. Was that against Rutgers or Maryland? Okay. Rutgers. Yeah, yeah. Two interceptions or the only other one that I would consider is 11 tackles against Ohio State. Just because big, biggest Ooh. game of the year to be the leading tackler. 11, baby. That is that is no slouch's work right there. So Mike Barrett, certainly worthy of some uh, some more praise than we gave him this year. God, and keeping it going, man, another unsung hero on this team that, I mean, you really kind of had to be there to understand what this guy brought to the team this year. That's Isaiah Gash. Like, the numbers aren't going to, you know, jump out of you. He appeared in nine games, ate at running back, played some special teams, uh, finished the year with 101 yards, a pair of touchdowns, uh, returned a couple kicks. But it's like the moment for me that Isaiah Gash jumps out really ties into his unsung hero ability of the year. It's Illinois the game when Michigan needed a complete team effort to overcome the adversity and win, and they're down at running back. Quorum's out. Edwards is out. They don't trust young C.J. Stokes yet. Mullings hasn't flipped back to running back. So they're looking at Tavi Dunlap, Leon Franklin, Isaiah Gash. Like, who is going to make a play? And Isaiah Gash steps up, not on scholarship, walks out there, drops drops a pass in the biggest moment of his athletic career. And then what happens? Next drive, they go right back to him for a fourth down conversion. And we get, gains the first down, keeps the undefeated season alive in his hands and keeps everything going forward for this team. And now he's on scholarship. Couldn't couldn't speak highly enough of what he brought to the team, especially in that game in that moment. Yeah, good for Isaiah Gash, man, getting onto scholarship. Has an elite name at the running back position. As far as accolades, you touched on it. This basically comes down to the two plays, and one of them was the drop, but then just the confidence in the team to go back to him for a game clinching just had to have it play. Isaiah Gash, we will not forget that play, and here are some of your accolades. Next guy I want to go to is a little bit controversial because we just mentioned that he had a disappointing season. But he's also listed as the Big Ten's special teams player of the year for Michigan. And that is A.J. Henning, the kick returner and punt returner, did not have the reception yards that we thought that he would have this year. As I mentioned, only nine receptions, 60 yards, no touchdowns, did not have the rushing attempts that we thought, only three attempts. But this was a really solid presence for us back there on special teams. And the special teams unit as a whole performed really well. And for the team to list him as the most important special teams player, when you had Jake Moody on the team, that means he's doing a lot of the things that we just don't see in the box score doesn't show. So AJ Henning, you can both want more out of him and think that he did some of the dirty work this season. Both things can be true and I think are true. 
AJ Henning is just a guy that you take for granted at a certain point, like with his sure handedness, with how like the decisions he makes. Although he about gave you a heart attack in the Ohio he State did. game. <laughs> but it's like you take him for granted because he's been back there for so long, and it's just something you don't have to worry about. It's like, okay, he's going to make the right play, and if he has a chance, he could break it and break the game open. So, uh, yeah, I think what you're saying, the team recognizing him speaks volumes about the value he brought to the team and what he does. And, I mean, there's no bigger moment than this year, his one return touchdown, which was spectacular. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, he does have the one highlight play. You'd like a little bit more. Didn't get that many attempts, but this is just going to show that he does a lot of the dirty work, the fact that he was awarded there. Uh, Next guy, or do you have a guy? Oh, okay. Yeah, I have a guy. Um, It's actually your boy. And I was so happy I could be there with you when he made his only interception of the season. It was Makari Page. Just kind of usurped R.J. Moten quietly throughout the year to play next to Rod Moore. Also, quick quick aside, does Rod Moore get enough love like nationally or even like regionally compared to what we – because we could talk about his – I mean, we know he's not unsung on this podcast, but – Rod Moore is outstanding. So I'm sort of put that on the record. (laughs) Noted. I just had to say it because like other people, but why don't you mention Rod Moore? It's like, trust me, buddy. We, we love Rod Moore on this podcast, but his partner playing safety, Makari page really took strides this year in coverage and in run support. Finally had the one interception against Ohio state to cement the game on the tip pass. Just felt so good to see it. Cause you saw flashes a few years ago. Then he kind of got passed up in the rotation. You never knew if it was going to happen for him at Michigan. And I'm really glad it did. So <clears throat> appeared in 27 games at safety and on special teams. He's got six starts. He was getting those starts later in the year. His best two performances came against Purdue seven tackles and then the interception against Ohio state. So got better as the year progressed. And while Rod Moore does not get a lot of love nationally, he gets a lot of love on this podcast and Makari page is just the guy that we've been rooting to hit. And it's starting to look like he is a hit and Oh, I'm going to be insufferable next year about this guy. Cause I just love the tools. I love the intangibles and started to see him coming into form this year. So I don't know if this is an unsung guy necessarily, but Rod Moore is starting to get some early preseason buzz as one of the top safeties in the country next year. So he's already getting some draft buzz for next year's draft, which is light years away. But because Makari Page isn't being talked about, I wanted to talk about him a little bit here. And any chance that I get to talk about my boy, I'm going to take it. So big things expected out of him next year. Well, it was weird because when the Big Ten teams came out, only one player was recognized in the Michigan secondary, and it was DJ Turner. And you and I were talking privately like, isn't he like the third or fourth best player in this secondary alone? Yeah, and maybe that was because people were challenging him more once Will Johnson got into the fold, but I didn't quite get that. I would have ranked him third in the secondary as well. But yeah, I'm with you. I think Makari Page next year just in for a huge year. The stuff that he did because it was later in the season and there was Will Johnson was also out there kind of took away a little bit of his shine, but he played really, really well down the stretch. So wanted to touch on him. Any other unsung heroes we should mention here? I don't have his name in front of me, but backup snapper, uh, long snapper, took over for as William Wagner went out with injury uh, early in the season and came in, and the process did not slow down or change up at all. And that's a very difficult thing to do because all of that is chemistry and timing. And as a backup, you don't get those reps. And to see it you know, come to fruition in biggest moments of the year, like Illinois, when you had to have it, or the 59-yard nuke missile against TCU, like, I mean, just – 
Praise needs to go to a position that doesn't get a lot of it. I'm surprised no Max Bredesen from you. I was expecting that name to come out early. Oh man, that come on. That's again, this is so tough because that's not a name that's unsung here on this podcast. Like I wrote a whole article about it just because I love him so much. Yeah, that's true. Unsung on this podcast is different than unsung nationally because we've been talking about Greg Crippen for years. It's like, what do you mean? I talk about Iman Dennis's gunner ability weekly. Like, this is not unsung. At the dinner table, like on Thanksgiving, my family's like, please, can we change the subject? And I'm like, well, not until we've like really hammered the hand placement of Crippen. <laughs> like, you guys don't understand the value Greg Crippen brings to this team. He just gives the depth so Olu knows, even if he has to go out for a snap. There's not a drop-off. Have you seen Will Shedder on a high pick and roll? Like, we'll talk about the gravy once that we've we've covered this thoroughly. I'm not passing you this, Paul, until you listen to my point. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, let's think of some more unsung heroes throughout the season because, like, there's a lot more people that we can touch on. Those are actually some more well-known people that did contribute last year. But fun little exercise. Uh, let's take a quick sponsor break. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Breaking news, people. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpets by going to manscaped.com and using the code MMB20 for 20% off and free shipping. Look, I'm a man that knows the importance of a beard. The beard ties the face together like a good rug ties a room together. It's a unifying bridge between chin and scalp. I've yet to see a man's face made worse with a strong beard in my lifetime. And it's the only facial hair that will never go out of style. It's time to tame your mane because no one likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped Pro Beard Kit. All starts with the beard hedger. Thing is a beast of fixing faces. First off, the cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. They have created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. There's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse, easier to damage than your hair on your head. That's why this kit has made shampoo and conditioner specifically designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replete those natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a beard who's brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. Cap off the kit with the Beard Balm Pomade Shape Style Moisturize Tame Your Sculpted Look. Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MNB20. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. 
All right, coming back, we have to switch over to basketball. It is basketball season, and I'm starting to lose some of my luster for this season. Like, we were able to maintain some positive momentum. We had Kellen on last week, fun podcast, talking about the basketball team. And I think we all left mostly positive. Like, this isn't going to be the greatest season, but there's still a chance for a run. Let's hold out. Uh, Then we lost to Maryland and lost Jet Howard. And I got to say, some of that hope has floundered since our last talk. Yeah, man, it's not been not been great. Uh, very, like it happens to us occasionally with like breaking news that our podcast aged poorly, and you know, not much we can do about that. This one just aged poorly from an optimism standpoint because you turn around, and just blow a couple games, injuries start depleting you, and when you and I are being negative like during a game, like you know, it's really worn because normally you and I are very upbeat, very just essence of a fan, like very supportive. But like at the halftime of Minnesota, it's like. Man, we might be doomed in this one, but we didn't use the word doomed. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. it was uh, not a podcast friendly term that we used on that one. But let's start with the loss to Maryland. Jet Howard, uh, I think he's he's shaken up against Minnesota, but we get through Maryland with a six point loss that we didn't get through it. I don't know why I phrased it like that. We served that you and I didn't die, but (laughs) we we got through it. You and I personally, the team did not. They lost 64 to 58 and the offense is just cratered recently. Only 58 points in that one, even in a win against Minnesota, the offense just starting to look stagnant. And without Jet Howard, I don't know how this team can possibly scrounge enough offense to do anything in the Big Ten. (laughs) I mean, not like they don't have a big test coming up. Not like they don't not like they play Purdue tomorrow, you know, the number one team in the country. If they beat Purdue, I think I'm willing to eat the shirt that I'm wearing. <laughs> I will eat the shirt off of my back. Like, there's no way we can beat Purdue without Jed Howard. There's just no way. That is like, especially since they have a seven foot four monster in there to just neutralize Dickinson. And Zach Eady plays basketball like a substitute teacher at lunchtime, but it's just because he's seven four. Like, it's so devastating. But yeah, man, it's um the outlook right now is very grim for the uh basketball team it's just very up and down anytime they get momentum they quickly squander it with a bad loss a bad half just uh the offense man just i don't know what they hang their hat on it we know it's not defense so we have to hope it's offense because at least we've seen some of the outputs like you think back against like Pitt early in the year which ended up being such a big win for this team the offense was just clicking it was fluent but now it's like they can't buy an easy shot like why can't why doesn't this team have like a go-to slump buster kind of shot or play. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit off air. Even in the win against Minnesota, 60 to 56, offense just seemed like a struggle. And it's hard for me to like equate this in intelligent basketball terms, but it just seems so difficult for them to get any sort of offensive look. Whereas everybody that we're playing is finding those looks. They might be missing them. Whereas Minnesota just probably doesn't have the shot makers, their ability to get themselves looks seemed just more efficient than the way that Michigan is able to get themselves looks. It is if Hunter Dickinson isn't doing his little fake right, go left or fake left, go right into the little, you know, three foot floater thing that he does around the basket and jet Howard isn't coming off a screen, launching an NBA distance three. I don't know what they're doing. Like, I don't know what their sets are. They need to have like a will shedder mid range that has shown some promise. They need to have that integrated into their offense. Cause you're totally right, man, the offense and the inability to get buckets and to just have confidence in your offensive sets is as low as I can remember. It is tough to watch. It's like watching uh, the 2017 Michigan football team when they just like, couldn't throw passes to wide receivers had 
had so much talent. John O'Corn's just trotting out there. But the only problem is there's no John O'Corn on this team. Like it's a lot of highly touted guys, highly recruited and skilled guys. And I don't know, like, is the blame on the players and the execution? Is the blame on the coaching? It just kind of feels like it's a team blame. Like everybody has to shoulder a little bit of it at this point. But they need to figure out something fast because otherwise they're going to miss the tournament. And that breaks a streak of how many years? When's the last time Michigan missed the tournament? Uh, it probably would have been, gosh, I don't know. I, excluding the uh, the COVID year, like because we don't count that as a real year. I don't know. When is the last time we made a tournament? Um, But yeah, another thing I wanted to touch on in that Minnesota and the Maryland game was rebounding, which Kellen brought up as one of the things that he lamented about this Michigan team. And it really showed its head. We did end up uh, out rebounding Minnesota by one, but the first half, like you got Hunter Dickinson down there and you've got guards and forwards coming in to out rebound you just effort on the offensive and defensive glass was abysmal in the last two games. And that's another thing that's going to come turn around and bite us. And, and you're right. Like as it stands right now, it just doesn't look like a tournament team. Last time they missed, uh, got the reference here was 2014, 15. So after Michigan had gone uh, national championship runner up, went to the elite eight and then had the down year. So again, you know, two years after a, a very, the highest of highs almost. And then you have this one. So maybe it could be the same for Juwan. Like, that 14-15 team did have talent. It had Stauskas, Glenn Robinson, and Mitch McGarry on there. Like there was, I mean, had some players. So maybe you're optimistic that like they can turn this thing around. And you and I aren't going to be ringing the bells or calling for Jawan's job this season. But if this year keeps trending to like a very middling 500-ish type of team and you go to the NIT tournament, then next year there's a lot of pressure on Jawan. Pressure he's never felt before at Michigan. Yeah, that's a great transition. I wanted to talk about what this could look like for next year. And I'm not fully writing off this year. Like they could still get hot and do some stuff. I mean, having Dickinson and Jet Howard, those are really good offensive weapons. You could get hot, but it doesn't really look like a tournament team. So if that is the case and we miss the tournament, what does Jawan Howard need to do next year to stay off the hot seat? I would say that it's pretty clear you need to win next year or else the noise is going to really start to become deafening. And maybe that shouldn't be the case, like just two years. Maybe it should be three years of of declining performance. I don't necessarily know. Michigan has become a little bit more of a blue blood recently in basketball. So the expectations come up with that. So it has to be a winning year next year. I don't exactly have a number written out. Like it doesn't have to be necessarily elite eight or bust, but it has to be you're in the tournament. You certainly need to be a competitive Big Ten team next year. And you look at the personnel on the team and, and I start to get a little bit worried. So what do you think should the cutoff be for keeping Juwan Howard off the hot seat next year? Do you have a definitive total in mind? Uh, it's not exactly definitive, but I've had to give a rough number. It has to be uh, has to be over 20. You have to win at least 20 games at Michigan. Like this year, he's already going to tie B-line for number of seasons under 20 wins. Granted, you know, his... 2020 season was impact because he didn't have the big 10 tournament. So they could have easily gotten, I believe they were a 19 win team that season. So let's keep it a little bit with a grain of salt here. So I think it needs to be in the twenties though. Like you need to be winning a decent amount of games competing in the big 10 and just stop having these either your super on or super off nights. Like those are the sign of like bad middling teams. The good teams even win on their bad days. This team, when they have a bad day, they'd be lucky to beat me, you and Kellen. <laughs> <laughs> we could run some pretty interesting sets with Kellen down. Oh yeah, well, Kellen, Kellen would do work in the paint. I'm not like you and I would just be out there. Like, can we get a get a beer break here? 
<laughs> You've been playing for 30 seconds, but yeah, I know. <laughs> I know I'm ready. I'm dry. So one of the things I, I was hypothesizing about Jawan Howard is that he's better in the win-or-go-home situations, and there might be some credence to that for Big Ten tournament performances, performances down the stretch. The team gets a little bit better late in the year under Jawan Howard. So if we're looking at some of the positives, so say we have a losing year this year, don't make the tournament, and then next year is right around 20 but there's another Elite Eight or another Big Ten tournament run. Can he have middling success throughout the year and make up for that with tournament runs in your mind, or does it have to be consistent success throughout? I think he can, but I don't think that is sustainable. Like I, I don't think that method of being bad during the regular season translates to consistent NCAA tournament success because then you always run the risk of missing it or like maybe run into a buzzsaw in the first round. You get ousted by the College of Charleston or something like that. It's actually not middling this year. It's actually really good. But it's like I just don't think that way of doing it can be sustained at Michigan. You can't just be a bad team and then flip the switch and turn into a good team. But I do like your point, though, that he does thrive in those situations. Like So if this Michigan team could sneak into the NCAA tournament, they, again, they're always a threat to make some noise in a one-off kind of performance. They are. I just don't know that they have the horses in the stable. Like unless Yusuf Kayat, who's now injured, good Lord, uh, can actually get out on the floor and what make the impact we thought he would. Oh, that's one of our biggest misses. Now, next year, he could come in and be the player we thought, but I thought that was going to happen this year. The dude was playing grown men like six months ago. I thought that would translate. It, it just has not, at least not this season. Uh, but that is like what I, I wanted to touch on here in this segment. What does this look like next year? So we're saying this is a huge year for Juwan next year. Let's kind of look at this roster and what is he going to have next year? We have two commits that are worth their salt right now, and that is center Papaconte, six foot ten, great name, best name on the team the moment he gets there, and shooting guard George Washington, who's about six two. He's a top one hundred recruit. Both are top one hundred recruits. But you got Jet Howard, who looks like a top ten prospect, and we're going to kind of talk on some of our player comps here to end this episode. So I won't do my player comp for him, but he's looking like a lottery prospect, and if you're going to be in the lottery i think most draft experts would say you should probably go so let's assume we lose dickinson and howard what on earth is he going to field next year that's going to be an improvement upon this year if you're losing your best two players oh man this is this is frightening like this when you when you told me about this like how we're going to structure the podcast i was like I don't even know how I can spin this optimistically. Like you hope Terrace Reed can slim down the inside, maybe have this like kind of weird four out one in versatile big kind of lineup, but I don't know where the offense is going to come from. That's my biggest question. Like defensively, I think they can find some way if Llewellyn comes back, maybe you can do something with the guards, but it's like, who's going to score on this team consistently? Like who are you going to run Kobe Bufkin? Like he's getting better, but to be your number one, that is not good. <laughs> So if you can bring back one player, we bring back Jet and let Dickinson walk. Do you agree with that? I mean, that's not great, but I'm kind of ready for that era to be over. It's not great. Like it's um you you and I have even talked like sometimes we're probably too hard on Dickinson with what he's being asked to do this season and all the roles he yeah. has to fill. But it's like, yeah, you 100% if Jet comes back, that raises that makes next year's team very interesting if Terrace stays with Papa Conte coming in like and Jet takes that step as a sophomore it could be a kind of case where he just like really evolves into like that guy and just carries this team on his back so that's the one you want to come back like I think he's as good as gone and he should be because he's that talented 
Yeah, he's probably going to be a top 10 pick. Now, there could be a little bit of the wants to stay with his brother and dad and his his whole family's there in Ann Arbor and with NIL money. But basketball money is a different animal than first round NFL money. Like, it's just different. Like, he's going to get getting paid if he gets taken number eight overall. If he was like number 16 or number 20 something in the draft, you might be able to convince him. I just don't know that you will. He's got to really love being around his family, being loved, you know, coached by his dad which which is entirely possible but chances are they're both gone and Terrace Reed is shooting 22% from the free throw line so as much as I like Terrace Reed he's a more traditional center and you know he's not just like an all offense center like that I I don't know that you can structure any type of five-man lineup where he is your primary center because, you know, hack a terrorist is going to become a strategy in these bigger games. I'm just going to start sending Jet Howard all of Johnny Davis's NBA tape and be like, look, see, this is what happens. Like, th- <laughs> this could be you, or you could be having fun in Michigan, being the guy. So I'm just going to, you know, try to throw all that propaganda at him, make him come back for another year because, boy, if he does not come back, next year could be one of the worst Michigan basketball seasons statistically in recent history. You would have to go get some transfers. All right, so look at let's look look at it the other way. And this is more possible because Dickinson is not going to get a first round grade. He's not going to get a second round grade. I'm not saying he's regressed, but he hasn't done enough to bring himself into the NBA conversation. We've had this every single year, and that remains the same. So he could probably come back. He might just be sick of it, might be over it, especially after a losing year but I don't really know what his other options are. So if Dickinson comes back, you've got Doug McDaniel, Jalen Llewellyn, Kobe Bufkin, Joey Baker, Terrence Williams. Like, so you could have some good depth if you bring back Dickinson, but no matter how you slice it, I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be really hard for this team to score next year. Like Buffkin's got to take another leap. Like, we're going to have to become Virginia from a few years ago and just play defense, play defense, like out of their minds next year. I, I don't know. It's it's very it just raises a lot of questions because it's hard for me to break down the value of these players when I don't understand the system or like the mindset of the basketball team. Like the whole program's mantra is uh, for competitors only, but it's like when you're competing to be mid, it's not that much fun. It's like that's awesome. I mean, you can have a competition. I mean, between me and you, like you know, fighting over a sandwich that doesn't make it a good competition. Like. I don't understand. It's hard to break down and quantify what it's going to be because I structurally program wise, like systemically, I don't understand what is going on and what to expect. Well, let us know in the comments if you'd watch Andy and I fight over a filet of fish, because that could be good YouTube content. (laughs) Give it to me, you bastard. I have the tartar sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's fantastic. Yeah, not fantastic, though, is the the prospects for Michigan basketball moving forward. So we need we need some type of boost. Now, I'll end it on a positive before we trans uh, transfer over to our last segment here with Santa Ono there. The Terrence Shannon miss probably doesn't happen. That, so and now, like, what does this team look like if it's Jalen Llewellyn is healthy and we have Terrence Shannon? I don't think we're even having this discussion. So with Santa Ono in there, if there's a transfer Michigan can go get, I think they'll be able to go get him. That's a, a very good. That's a very good note to end on because it opens everything up now. It's like there's no longer the gates are up. So you think like Najee Harris, Xavier Worth, those situations could have been mitigated because of his like emphasis on athletics and just I mean Santa Ono, what a guy, what a great guy. Just a top tier man, top three Santa, and he's not two or three. Uh, <laughs> who's your, last who's your segment third here. Santa? Oh man, that is a great question. I'm gonna have to do have to do some digging. Santa, Santa Clara, Santa Monica. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not a person. It's going to be like a university. Come back next week. We're doing top 10 Santas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I can get nine deep. <laughs> um, all right. Last segment here. We're going to close. This is a fun segment. I saw this going around Twitter, and it was like an NBA thing, but you can absolutely transfer it to, to college sports or whatever you want. It's the Pokemon Player Evolution segment. Now, we are not Pokemon. At least, I don't think you're a Pokemon watcher, player. It's mostly a game, but you understand what it is, right, and how this works? Yes, yes. I'm not a, I, I don't partake in it on the weekends, you know, <laughs> not, not going to my uh, local coffee shop and dealing them out, but yes, I am aware of what it is. Had a holographic Charizard once yeah. upon a time. <laughs> Saturdays, a pretty strict regimen of yard work. Uh, go visit the HOA, and then it's Pokemon for about seven, eight hours. <laughs> seven, eight hours a night. I only want Hitmon no, Lee. Don't you give me no Gengars or anything like that. I want the good stuff here. Onyxes, baby. Well, let's go. <laughs> See, I don't even know the details of it that much. But the that. way the Pokemon player... Yeah, yeah, you, it's fine. Look, I'm not hating on it. Whatever you like, like what you like. It's just not my jam. But the way Pokemon player evolutions work is like any video game. You level up. But in this, there's only three levels. So we'll give you an example of a Pokemon player evolution. Franz Wagner at Michigan. All right. That's his starting level. So you start out at that. And then you would you when you go to that next level up, when you uh, when you level up, you get Gordon Hayward. All right. And then you level up again and you get current Lori Markinen or Dirk Nowitzki. Like that is his ceiling. So like there's just different levels to that. So like if Franz Wagner progresses the way that he absolutely could best, best case scenario, he's literally Dirk Nowitzki. So that's that's like how we're going to do this thing. Does that make most mostly sense? Yeah. And it should be stated like it's not guaranteed you're going to make it there. But it's like this is right. this is basically just like projecting who they could become. And it's like the level they're going to be next until they get to that ultimate level. Absolutely. All right. Uh, you want to start us off since I kind of gave an example already? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go with the, my favorite one. I'm going to give you all the credit here because you did a tremendous job setting these up for me. Uh, the first one here is Jed Howard, who we just talked about ad nauseum. Uh, progressions for him I love because it's Jordan Clarkson and then it's Tracy McGrady at the highest level. And that makes a lot of sense because like very offensive gifted, very long, very just – I don't even think we've seen like his the height of his athleticism yet. Very skilled as well. And it's like, while he can be an apt defender at times, he's going to be more known for what he does scoring the basketball. This is one that I liked as well. I'm glad that you started with this one. Um, so, yeah, we clearly know right now Jet Howard is primarily a scorer, but there's certainly some DNA of more than that. And Jordan Clarkson would be the natural progression, and I think that's pretty close to what he'll be at the next level is just a score. Now Clarkson six, five guard a uh, little bit more size from Jed Howard. He's at six, seven, but I think you probably want to play him at the two and then you'll, you'll have him switching out there, obviously on to threes, but Clarkson can do that as well. So I like Clarkson, but then T-Mac would be, he, what does he need to do to get to T-Mac's level? He needs to get to the cup a lot more. He needs to be a lot better finisher around the rim. T-Mac was a really solid defender at like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, so, uh, you know, a little bit smaller than Tracy McGrady. But yeah, so defense, getting to the cup, and I guess like you would also need a mid-range game because T-Mac could do it all. So he needs to develop quite a bit more to get to that T-Mac level. But if everything goes perfectly for Jed Howard, that's the caliber of player you're talking about. Carmelo Anthony would be another good one. Yeah, it's a play that's going to create his own shot. Like, Jets can struggle with that sometimes. Like, can always get to his spots, always do what he wants to do on the court, especially on the offensive side. 
And no, any offensive player like that's a fun comp for him to think about, like what they could do athletically. Like you'd love to say Kobe Bryant, but we're we're not going to say that because what he what he doesn't bring defensively and just everything else and where Kobe was at eighteen. But uh, no, Tracy McGrady's the right zone for Jed Howard. I think that's a great one. All right, let's move over to football. Here's a fun one. So you start off with Derek Moore. All right, now by, let's say next year, this is entirely possible. You get a quitty pay-like player. And I like that because of the frame. Derek Moore, 6'4", quitty pay, 6'4". Quitty pay was physically just monstrous. So Derek Moore in that strength and conditioning program could absolutely absolutely see him getting a similar frame. But then the ultimate Pokemon evolution for Derek Moore is Lamar Woodley for me. Just a physically imposing, like grown man strength out there amongst amongst, amongst a bunch of boys. And I could see it, man. I could totally see that with Derek Moore. So what do you think about that progression? I like that. Yeah, he's a little bigger than uh, Woodley. Woodley, I believe, is around 6'2". But, I mean, one of the premier yeah. edge rushers in Michigan. I love you kept this one all Michigan-centric as well. Like, I like to see it evolve like that. And you always feel like Quiddy Pay like, never quite got to the next level while he was at Michigan, trying to do it now with the Colts. But, you know, best of luck. And with Lamar Woodley, you knew it was evident right away. Like he got there at Michigan, carried it over to the Steelers, was a fan favorite. And from what we saw with Derek Moore as a freshman pass rusher, very promising. We saw more from him as a freshman. Granted, it was more of a rotation than we did Rashawn Gary. So I really like that what we're seeing in terms of player development across the defensive line. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, you're up, brother. All right. Oh man, I'm gonna. Uh, I can't I can't steal yours. I can't steal your favorite one down there. I'm too nice of a guy. All right. The next one, we talked about Macari Page early on, and you did a, ni- a nice comp here. I don't normally, you know, cross racial lines with the comp, but it makes sense on this terms. <laughs> you did. A, you brought it up to Akello Al- Witherspoon, the former CU cornerback, which is great pull by you. Shout out. Go Buffs on this one. And then the next transition to that is Harrison Smith in the NFL. Like Harrison Smith plays with a ferocity all across positions. Very good in very solid run defender, very solid pass defender. Uh, I don't know if he can get to the highest level Harrison Smith reach, but I definitely think he can get to where Harrison Smith is now, where it's just like reliable, steadying force with the Vikings. And also we should mention the Vikings, whose team captain is Josh Metellus. So a little fun parallel there with Michigan. Make sure we give our boy Metellus some love, but no, that's fun. I like thinking of Macari page in those. And I've been trying to workshop my Rod Moore one in here, but I'm not, I I think his would be, I don't know the middle level, but I think Rod Moore's highest level would be Earl Thomas. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I was going with body types here when I was looking at the Macari page ones. Cause Macari page is listed at six, four, meaning he's probably six, three. That would make him one of the bigger safeties in the NFL. The moment he's drafted, they're usually around six foot to six foot two range. So that's why I went with Harrison Smith. He's at six, two. So a bigger body out there, but Harrison Smith's frame is what sets him apart. If you're going to be back there in the NFL, making a lot of tackles, need to see Macari page come back this year with some real meat on the bone need to see him put on some weight and if he does like that's quite a physical specimen back there so akello witherspoon i really liked as like a second level and if he comes back this year and he he's put on 15 pounds and like he's up around around the line of scrimmage a little bit more often making some some pretty physical tackles i'm gonna be encouraged by what makari page could be another Um, another good one for page would be um who just got drafted this year by the ravens kyle hamilton is six three six four safety but we don't know how he's gonna pan out yet but it's kind of that mold in that breed of safety 
yeah, or like Kirby Joseph, Jay Curb yeah. over at the Lions. Like, yeah, it might be like this new breed of safeties are just getting a little bit bigger because I was looking back historically and the greats are not usually that tall. Like you don't need to be tall to be a safety. Like you just need to be able to be the last line of defense. So but I like it. I like a big bodied safety back there. Uh, last one that I had was uh, we're going to start with Will Johnson and Will Johnson of all these players is starting at the highest level of any of these guys like Franz Wagner and Jed Howard starting at a very high level. Will Johnson's a different category altogether. You're starting at probably the best cornerback in all of college football next year is where we're starting at. So you start there. Your next level is Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati. Like that's the only if you're leveling up, you're getting to shut down corner. That's going to be taken top three in the NFL draft. And the final evolution, there's just no other name. It sounds absurd, but it's Charles Woodson. There's no other name that I could think of here of like, how could how good could this guy be? It is Heisman level candidacy, Heisman level winner at defensive back in college football. I just wanted to sit here and yell at you the whole time, like um, Adam Driver in Star Wars. More, more, because <laughs> I just wanted you to clear out and cook on this one because it's awesome. Like it's so one to one at this time because the comparisons with he and Woodson and people have been making it all over the place. But I love the progression there. And man, I God, Sauce is such a sore subject for me. Because how did we let him get outside the state of Michigan? Like he's from 40 minutes down. I get it. He was yeah. a three-star, but he had the body type. Had uh, That one yeah. still hurts. But no, I love the progression there with the body. I love that you didn't just go with like Richard Sherman or somebody like that because he doesn't play like that. He has more dynamism no. to his game. I like what he's bringing. He plays with charisma and confidence. And you just saw it increase. Like he got smoked in like week one against Colorado state. And some people were like, Oh man, is he going to be a bust? It's like my brother in Christ. It's his first career college football <laughs> game. He's a true freshman, like shut up. So it was awesome to see him take massive leaps, even as a freshman, what he did against the bit, all the receivers down the stretch. He's a good, a little better, uh, not getting picked in man coverage. Uh, some of the rewatch at TCU could, hurt you a little bit, but he's learning, he's growing. And I think that's a trajectory that he's actually on right now. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, off air. I think it was, I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, how TCU basically like reinvented their defense and did a lot on offense with those four weeks off that really confused Michigan on both sides. So like, I'm going to, I'm just not going to take the TCU game against Will Johnson. I'm going to take the bulk of what I saw on tape last year. And I can't even begin to describe to you how exciting it is to have my favorite position. Like, He's wearing my favorite number and we have the best one in the country going into next year. Like this is greater than when, when we brought back Jordan Lewis and how excited I was to bring back Jordan Lewis. This is just on a different level, man. Like I'm so excited to watch Will Johnson next year. Like this is, Oh, like we, I, I I'm speechless. It takes a lot to get me speechless, but that's how excited I, I don't am. know if I've ever been as excited for a triumvirate in the secondary. That's proven as I am Rod Moore, Mikey Sainer still and Will Johnson. No, I'm right there with you. And then you throw Macari Page onto that, and I'm just beside myself. With and Moten just to watch this lingering around, Zeke Barry, all the kids. Like, God. Oh, man. Bring him under the umbrella, baby. Uh, don't have this in the dock. What would J.J. McCarthy's Pokemon evolution look like? Is Caleb Williams, is that the end goal? Or is that, like, next year? Is that mid-goal, mid-level? Uh, I think that, that would be a... Maybe like two years ago, Caleb Williams would be next year's goal. I think that's what you'd have to start aiming at. And then at the NFL level, it gets very interesting. Like, uh, there's a lot of different- Tannehill? Ryan Tannehill? 
I think he's a more more talented passer than Tannehill was at a yeah, um, I like the running comp there. That's something to workshop because like there's a lot of names like you could say is like peak McCarthy in college. Is it close to what Justin Fields was at Ohio State? I hate to do the the cross Buckeye Wolverine comparison, but you think about that, what he could bring like um, sophomore year, Trevor Lawrence. There's a lot of places to go. But the fact that we're throwing out these names, Heisman contending name, Heisman winning names, I think that says I mean, where our heads are at with McCarthy. Right. I mean, Heisman ceiling next year is is certainly doable. Now, I don't know that they'll open up the offense to put up the kind of requisite numbers to get there. But talent wise, like you throw him with some of USC's wide receivers and into that offense. Could he put up Caleb Williams numbers like put him on Oregon? Is he going to put up Marcus Mariota numbers? Possibly like I, I, as far as a comp, I think I need one more year to see like what he can really do. Let's take off the governor governor and see like, what does he look like unleashed, which we got some glimpses of last year, but to get that pro comp. Yeah. Like you want to say Justin Herbert because McCarthy can be very accurate, but he doesn't have that type of arm and he runs a little more than Herbert. So I don't know. Yeah. It, it's a tough one, but we'll have to workshop that one for sure. I got a quick hit for you. You ready? Hit me. All right. Cade McNamara next year over under 2,000 passing yards. Under. Yes, Cade McNamara next year over under 15 passing touchdowns. Under. Uh, Spencer Petras this year uh, at Iowa for reference, 1,700 passing yards, five passing touchdowns. (laughs) Five. And we said... we said 15, so they're expecting him to triple the output? I just I just put it there because if you go back to Spencer Petras's, uh junior years a little better, it was 1,800 passing yards and 10 touchdowns. So, you know, just tried to give him a, a little window there. Yeah, he might get over in passing yards because that's egregious, but five passing touchdowns for Spencer Petras. I don't think he's getting the statue built in, in Ames anytime soon. <laughs> Brian Ferentz is. <laughs> God, I really hope the worst for Iowa. I have completely <laughs> yes. shifted. Ge- I have completely shifted gears on this. Like I really hope the worst for them next year. I'm I'm just out. I love how you and I just the more we talked about it, the more it just pissed us off and like how people were hugging and kissing while they were like certain players were giving us the bird on the way out. It's like no, no, you're in the Big Ten. Hope your team sucks and gets pulverized. <laughs> I love that they're like, come on, Cade, we'll show them. We'll go to Check Notes, Iowa. That'll that'll teach him. We're going to go there and put up numbers so big, we will have literally dozens of receptions. Dozens! <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. It's like, oh, yeah, y'all, y'all just wait on it. Going dark on social media. Got to go put in the work with Brian Ferentz on the jugs machine. It's like, oh, boy, watch out. <laughs> Sweet, you might make it to fourth in the West. <laughs> It's like awesome. Have fun in the like the taxslayer.com bowl or whatever you're gonna play in. Like it would be so funny if we played them in the Big Ten championship. Oh my god. There would be absolute like there would be some vitriol out on that field. I'm sorry. Just because like you said, like the way that they left it unnecessary. So they might all still be boys, but there would be uh there would be some hits out on the field on that day. Oh man, I can only imagine just the back and forth between some of the players and Eric All and Cade McNamara. Like, I mean, every defender wants to hit the quarterback they can never hit, you know? It's like that forbidden fruit. You just get to look at it every day and you never get to do it. Who do you think, like gun to your head, who represents the Big Ten West next year? 
I think Wisconsin represents the Big Ten. West. I've got Wisconsin. Yeah, I, uh, Braylon Allen, offensive line, bringing in a decent quarterback. Um, I think they have more pieces. Uh, Minnesota's got a lot to replace. Uh, Nebraska, I just don't think they have the personnel. And you just look look around the rest of it. It just doesn't really doesn't really add up. Um, just I think I think Wisconsin kind of runs away with it, although they have a tough schedule. Yeah. They do. The The schedule gets a lot harder for the West next year because I think Nebraska will be better and I think Wisconsin's going to be a lot better. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think Wisconsin's the team to beat. And then I'll uh, maybe get weird with it and say like a Minnesota or something like that. And then then you get into the Iowas. But yeah, I just don't see them even with Cade and, and Eric all. That is an anemic offense, sir. I mean, it can't get much worse. I guess it will improve. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Congrats. Oh, man, that's going to do it for us here on Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter, at Mason Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. Oh!